Turn in your Bibles to Numbers, the book of Numbers. We're going to be in chapter 21 uh, in the first nine verses. There's a story here um, that is recorded that is an amazing story and actually points forward to um, Jesus Christ and his coming. But I wanted to give the whole context of what is going on here um, in reading all of the uh, verses from one through nine, even though the main portion of uh, study for this morning will be in the latter part of this passage. But let's stand together as we read. And it says, and when King Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoner. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened unto the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And they called the name of the place Hormam. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to, a, to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of, the, out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us, and Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, where, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you now, uh, and your word is delivered, I pray, Lord, that you will be with all the words that are said this morning. Lord, we ask that you be lifted up and that you be proclaimed above all things here this morning. And we ask that, Lord, humbly, that you would um, use me, Lord, and that um, I be a blessing, Lord, to everyone here, Lord, as you have been a blessing to me as I've gone through this passage of Scripture that points to you and to the coming of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for this opportunity, and Lord, I thank you for the opportunity. We pray that you will be with us. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's, you may be seated. Thank you. So in Numbers 21, we're actually towards the end of Israel's wilderness wandering. And the reason why this passage stuck out to me is because we see that Israel, it, it, all throughout the wilderness wandering, God has led Israel. God, just because they were in the wilderness, did not mean that they were outside of God's will, that they were outside of God's presence. In fact, we know from the book of Exodus that in the wilderness, they were accompanied by the cloud by day, which was the Lord going with them and the pillar of fire by night as they went through the wilderness. And in this passage of scripture in chapter 21, we see that they come across a king, a Canaanite king, one of the people that they were so worried about when they first came to the promised land and if you remember, um, 12 spies went into the land, and 10 of them said, no, these people are, are giants, they're 
too insurmountable for us to uh, defeat. We are not going to go in there because we can't. But we know that two of them, two faithful spies, Caleb and Joshua, said, no, we can do it in the Lord. But what they saw was they saw their own selves. They trusted in their own selves and said, you know what? We can't. And in, fi- in fact, they can't. They could not if they were only fighting in their own power. But if they had trusted in the Lord, they would have taken the land. And so God puts them to wander the wilderness for 40 years. And in this 40 years, we see that God is waiting for the old generation, that so-called faithless generation of Israel, to pass so that they could go into the promised land uh, with a brand new leader, with Joshua. And we see here in that last year that they go through a lot in this last year, and especially this portion of Scripture, where they come across this king, King Arad the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south and heard that the people of Israel were coming this way, and so he decides to go up against them, and they're defeated. And this portion of Scripture is interesting because we're focusing more on the latter part of this, but I wanted to also insert this in there because Israel responded in a proper way when they're defeated by this King Arad. If you look, I think it's in verse 3, it says, in the Lord, or sorry, in verse 2, it says, And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities, which is what they were commanded to do. They were c- commanded to go in there and destroy all the idolatry that the Canaanites had. But they, instead of grumbling, they decided to uh, turn to the Lord, and God actually gave them a victory. It says in verse 3, And the Lord hearkened unto the voice of Israel. And delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Hormah. So we get into our portion of Scripture this morning, starting in verse 4. And if you read, and let's actually read that verse one more time, verse 4. It says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Now remember, they had just received a great victory uh, at the hand of this king. And in all of the book of Numbers, what we really see is God's provision in spite of what I can only describe as Israel's constant and consistent complaining. If you read through the book of Numbers, there's a great record of how God provided for his people, but there's a lot of the people fall away and then they cry out to God because they're in a problem they cannot solve. God delivers them and they go back and forth all throughout their their history in numbers and then going into the promised land we see this how god provides for them in spite of israel's constant and consistent grumbling in numbers we see how god's mercy exists in spite of their grumblings and indeed all of israel's history demonstrates the discontent that israel had oftentimes before god when something wasn't exactly right according to them they, instead of turning to God and, and bowing before a, a merciful, just, loving God that was indeed watching over them, and they had proof and evidence that God was watching over them, instead, oftentimes, chose to grumble and complain. And even before, in the book of Exodus, we see how God, in doing all that he has done and bringing them into the wilderness, is still going to fulfill the promise that God made to Israel where 
he would bring them. And if you go to, I believe it's Exodus chapter 6, it says, and it's up on the screens, Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me, a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So on their journey, in spite of this promise, in spite of God keeping them and, and maintaining them, they oftentimes found themselves in a place where they lacked something, whether it be water, whether it be bread, and then God provided for them, and they didn't like what God provided for them, and they would still complain. And God, as I mentioned earlier, had them sent out 12 spies into the land, and the only reason why they were stuck in the wilderness for 40 years was because instead of relying on God by faith, instead, they did not. And I thought, as I was reading this portion of Scripture, how quickly does Israel forget God's provisions? They had 40 years of faithfulness. God had been faithful to them those 40 years. And even bringing them out of Egypt, a place where they had been for about over 400 years, God brought them out. They had seen many signs, many wonders, all the plagues that God brought upon Egypt, and God maintained them. And all the while, instead of holding on to those victories that God had given to them and holding on to the God that gave, gave it to them because he was gracious and merciful, instead began to selfishly complain and said, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt? to die in the wilderness. For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Now notice in this passage it says they were indeed being fed, but they were fed in such a way that they had to rely on God's constant provision. And they were not happy with the provision that they got. And I think about how oftentimes, you know, even us today, God will do something in our lives and because it's not how we would prefer it we go to god no i don't want it like this i want it like this or no could you do it like this and we start giving god conditions instead of relying on him and we see this all throughout history and even as, as christians we can fall back on this if our our eyes aren't firmly fixed on god and on jesus christ so god in he responds in an interesting way and this is where our main portion of scripture is and says in verse six, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much of the people of Israel died. We see that God does deal judgment because of their complaining. Because instead of, like I said, instead of them focusing on the goodness of God, they instead decided, no, you know what? We're going to turn on God, we're going to complain. We're going to complain to Moses. Um, and um, we're going to turn against Moses because he hasn't led us the way we want to be led. And God hasn't led us the way we want to be led. God has led us into this place where, um, as we just read, is a place that was hard for them. It wasn't the most pleasant land to go through as they were circling around the land of Edom. And they didn't. They just didn't like it. So God brings something that only God can bring. And it says the Lord brought 
fiery serpents among the people. Just as God, it's kind of funny how God sent a snake to torment Israel, but just as God, when we fell because of our unbelief, gave rule of the earth over to an unrelenting evil force, the old serpent, Satan. And here he sends fiery serpents. Now, it's kind of, um, it's been debated as to what the fiery serpents really were. Some said that it was just, um, some commentaries have noted that it's just they were red. Some actually said that they were more supernatural in nature. But in spite of what they really were, the fact of it is they were sent by God and they were sent by God as a punishment to Israel because of their grumbling. And here we see evidence of Israel who, accustomed to God's providence, thought that God would just do what, they, do what he asked. He, they thought, okay, you know, if we complain to God, then God's going to give us what we want. And God doesn't do that. Instead, he says, no, 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 you, you don't complain. You should not complain. So the people's response to what God does is this in verse 7. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray, the Lord, pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now, the only appropriate way I feel that, and, and as we know and read in the scriptures, the only appropriate way to respond to God is to throw ourselves at his mercy because he is merciful. In spite of when we fall short, in spite of when we make mistakes and we make them all the time, if we're not constantly throwing ourselves at his mercy, then we're kind of at a loss. God is merciful and he is long-suffering to us and, and he is patient. And we see this in this passage of scripture how he was indeed patient with Israel and his dealing with them in a way not to just simply punish them but to try to get them to turn back to him. And that's exactly what Israel does in this passage of scripture. God is not satisfied by us you know, just covering our face to sin but God is only satisfied with true repentance and turning away from sin and israel does that as they are given these serpents and as they start to torment them only then does israel turn around and say okay we're repenting from this sin i looked at the definition of repentance and it's defined three different ways in uh merriam webster it says Number one, to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. Number two, to feel regret or contrition. And three, to change one's mind. And as I was reading this portion of scripture, it was kind of an interesting parallel to what Paul tells us in the book of Romans, chapter three. And starting in verse 10, it says, and I think it's up on the, on the screens as well. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and their tongues, with their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are, are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
it's funny how when Israel would seek after God, they would try to get them to solve a problem, not understanding that God is, is fully aware of where they were. God had not abandoned them in the wilderness. He had been with them this entire time. And instead of realizing that and realizing maybe God is sending us in this direction for a reason and trusting in that provision, they chose to complain, thinking, or even worse, they thought that they could persuade God into doing their bidding if they complained enough to Moses. And boy, did they complain. And they complained to Moses so much that Moses actually, he got a little bit of a temper. Um, and actually, that's something that we'll be looking at pretty soon. But God does exactly what he wants to in his time. And it's fitting that the punishment for their unbelief was to take away the perceived control that they had. And send to Israel something that they could not control. They had no control over these serpents except for what God was about to do for them. Israel and their complaining seemed, made it seem as though the only way they would be satisfied is by going back to Egypt. And what an interesting thought that was. That their only response to we have no bread, we have no water. Is, oh we want to go back to Egypt where we had plenty, but they kind of maybe forgot all the slavery part, I think. Because they were not living in luxury in Egypt. They were slaves under Egypt. They were in bondage, in so much bondage that they cried out to God to deliver them. And now, instead of throwing themselves at the mercy of God, what they do instead is they say, no, we're gonna, we want to go back to Egypt because we had food there, we were taken care of there, but they blocked out all of this other part that caused them to leave Egypt in the first place. So God answers their prayer with a choice. And here's what he says in verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. The snakes God used to show Israel their depravity, just as Satan shows us our depravity. And what God commanded them to do was simple. He had Moses construct the very thing that was tormenting them, and had them look upon it to be saved. And only when the Israelites were bitten, they looked upon the brass serpent and they were saved. But the condition was first, before the solution could be offered, the condition was for Israel to repent. And we see them do that. Before God gives them a solution to their problem, we see that first Israel turns and is repentant and says, Okay, we have sinned before God, we have sinned before your servant Moses, and so then God offers them a way to be saved from this torment that God had brought to them because of their unbelief and because of their complaining. The brazen serpent was an opportunity for Israel to demonstrate their repentance by faith, and in looking upon it, they would be saved. Now, I want to shift focus just for a minute 
to John chapter 3, if you would. Because there's an interesting parallel to this passage of Scripture and what we see in the Old Testament. As we know, the New Testament clarifies what we see in the Old Testament and the story of the brazen serpent is referred to by Jesus Christ in John chapter 3. And it says in John chapter 3, verse 13, let's start reading in verse 13. It says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And Moses lifted up the ser- as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whatsoever believeth in him, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not into his son, not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We cannot truly say that we are repentant, and I think this is something that is not preached a lot. I'm thankful that we are in a church that does preach this. That in order for them for there to be true repentance, first we have to be confronted with our sin. And that's what God gave the Israelites an opportunity to do. It wasn't that he just decided, okay, I'm going to have them make a brazen serpent just for making a brazen serpent. It was for the fact they had to confront the sin of turning against God, of complaining against God, in order for them to be healed. And in like manner, we see Jesus, this is actually a conversation in John chapter 3 of Jesus talking to um, Nicodemus, and we see that in this passage of Scripture, Jesus says, just as the serpent was lifted up by Moses in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And it's interesting because no one has a problem when you talk about God these days. You ever notice that? Because you can make God to be whatever you want, right? But when you talk about Jesus, all of a sudden, people have a problem, a big problem. And the reason for that is, I feel, and if you read this passage of Scripture, it's very plain to see that the reason why people have a problem with Jesus Christ is because you cannot come to Christ without first acknowledging your sin. There is no true repentance without confronting your sin. And that's what Jesus does for us. That's what the the cross of Calvary was for was so that we would look upon him. And even today, as we read about the crucifixion and the resurrection, we look upon him as our only hope for salvation. But first, we have to look at our sin, the result of our sin, and be repentant, first and foremost. Christ does something in that he faces us with our failure, not to mock us, not to to do anything other than for us to realize that only through him we can receive the way to come back to God, but it's only by faith and repentance. This is why, like I said, so many people have a problem with Christ because while everyone always says that they believe God, which is kind of an interesting statement since God and Christ are one, people make God out to be whatever they want, but only Christ, Christ allows us to confront our sin and realize that it has been dealt with. God had not turned his back on Israel 
until, and it wasn't in that when God made the brazen serpent that now he was, he turned his eye back to Israel. God had always had his eye on Israel. God had always been looking at them and, and seeing what they were doing, even though he was displeased with them. God was still providing for them. And in so doing, we also are provided for by God. If we would only every day keep our eyes on Jesus and decide to throw ourselves at his mercy, no matter what we go through, God gives us exactly what we need. People have such a problem with Christ because Christ confronts us with our own sinfulness and our wretchedness, just as the brazen serpent confronted Israel with theirs. But God gives us a way to eternal life in just once, and that is in the portion we just read of Scripture. It says, For God so loved the world, we know it, that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice that there's a conditional statement there, just as there was with the brazen serpent. For the brazen serpent, it was you have to look upon it to live. And in Christ, we have a conditional statement, right? Whoever believeth on him will have everlasting life. But there's no belief without first being confronted with our sin and saying, okay, I have done wrong, I repent. And I will turn away from that sin. God gives us a way to eternal life, but just one. And that is to look up to the cross and live. And really it's simple, just as it was with Israel in the wilderness. They All they had to do was look up at a brazen serpent, and it wasn't the brazen serpent that saved them. It was God's provision in that brazen serpent. And them putting their faith in that that would save them because it was provided by God that they were saved from what was ailing them. As Christians, we have to remember, and I know for some it's been longer than others, that there was a time in our life where we identified with what I read in Romans chapter 3. There is none that doeth good. There is none that is righteous. There is none that seeketh after God. But God gave us a way. And one day we stepped out on faith because we felt the calling of the Holy Spirit. And we received that thing, the only thing that could ail our hurt, that could ail the thing that we could not solve for ourselves, and that is Jesus Christ. And all he asked for us to do is exactly what he asked of Israel in Numbers chapter 21, to look at the cross and live. Because if we keep our eyes on him, not only do we have repentance, we have forgiveness, we have a relationship with God who is always, who has always seen us, knows what we're going through, and is preparing a place for us. As we go through this world, he's preparing a place that we can go and be with him. We have a relationship with him. He's given us so many things just because we looked up and we lived because of his provision. So, as we go through this week, I've, let's keep that in mind. Let's keep that in focus that all we, have to do, all we had to do at one point was to be truly repentant and receive him by faith, which is something so simple yet requiring so much faith. I can't tell you how many times I've come up to people and you try to share the gospel and it just doesn't click. 
And you think, you know, as Christians, we think it's so simple. Why don't they receive the, the gift of, of salvation? And it's because they lack the faith in order to receive Christ. And yet, God has provided in his faithfulness and his loving kindness and his long-suffering Jesus Christ so that we can look up and live. Let's pray together. Stand for prayer.